0: listening to the Retro Sermons podcast, find out more at NorthColumbusChristians.com slash Retro Sermons. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the 17th chapter of the book of John. We want to begin our study with that reading from that that book and chapter. While you're doing that, we say again that we're grateful to you for being here. Your presence commends you, and we're glad to have such a fine number present. And hope that our study will encourage us to do the will of God while we live, that we can have the hope of life with God when life here is over. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, we are especially glad to have you. We hope that by the time the service is over, you will have decided that tonight is the night that you are going to be a faithful child of God and will make your way to the front and let us help you in whatever way we can. This particular passage records a prayer that Jesus prayed, and could be rightly called the Lord's Prayer. I know there is another that is called the Lord's Prayer, but it really is not one the Lord prayed, and in that sense should not be called the Lord's Prayer, but this is one the Lord prayed. And he prayed first for himself, and then he prayed for his apostles. And then he prayed for everybody that would believe through the preaching that the apostles did. And so it is indeed a, a fitting a thing to call it the Lord's Prayer, because he prayed this prayer. And in verse 1 it says, These things spake Jesus, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee, even as thou gavest him authority over all flesh that to all whom thou hast given him he should give eternal life. And this is life eternal, that they should know thee, the only true God, and him whom thou didst send, even Jesus Christ. You remember the setting of this. Jesus and his apostles uh, are together on the night that Jesus is betrayed, then will be arrested, later crucified, but wonderfully later will be raised from the dead. But I call your attention especially to verse three, where he said, "This is life eternal, that they should know Thee, the only true God, and Him whom Thou didst send." I want to talk to you tonight about what does it mean to know God. It's bound to be important, for Jesus said, "To know God and to know His Son is life eternal." It is to have life eternal, life everlasting. And certainly that makes it worth our while. Not many things that we know in this world last very long. You buy a car, they don't last too long. They're designed not to. You buy a house, even if it lasts a hundred years, that's not long. This, though he says, is life eternal or everlasting life, it not only will last forever, there's a certain quality about it, but he says involved in it is to know God. And so as we think tonight about what does it mean to know God, I want each one to be asking himself the question, Do I know God? And what is involved in knowing God? And as we go through the different points about it that we want to talk about, ask yourself the question, Do I know God? And if I don't know God, this verse is saying, I do not have eternal life. I do not have the hope of heaven. And there's just one other thing that I could that could be in store for me, and that would be everlasting punishment. We talked about that some last night. I, I cannot imagine that anybody would deliberately, in his own free will, sit down and say, I really would like to go to hell. I just enjoy the torment, the punishment, the fire. Just to say all that is absurd. And so let's ask ourselves the question, Do I know, God, that thereby I might have eternal life? What does it mean to know God? Well, first of all, to know God, you must know the fact of God's existence. You must know that God is. Occasionally, I run across people that say, well, now, you really cannot know there's a God. You can look at all the evidence and might be and must be more evidence for his existence than the other way, and so you can be reasonably sure But you really cannot know God. Well, now, if that's so, then you can't have eternal life. Well, Jesus said eternal life is to know God, and if you can't know God, you can't have eternal life. You can know God, you can know there is a God. You remember the sermon in Acts 2? Peter concluded that sermon, verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, and we've crucified both Lord and Christ. He not only appealed to them to know that, he appealed to them to know that assuredly. No doubt about it, to know it. Yes, people can know God. They can know the fact that there is a God and that God exists. Paul could say in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that. We can know God. Sometimes people say, well, you can believe God or believe in God, but you can't know God. And there's supposed to be a contrast between knowing and believing. I don't think you'll find that in the Bible. There's a contrast made in the Bible, all right enough, between knowing something and sight or rather between believing and sight. And the Bible said we walk by faith, not by sight. But that's not saying we walk by faith and not by knowledge. Just because you believe something doesn't mean there's no knowledge of it. In fact, in John 6, Peter said we have believed and know that thou art the Son of God, or the one sent from God. Yes, you can know there is a God, and you can know God. In Second Peter 1, uh, Peter makes the point, that we have uh, been purified and goes on to talk about how through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and birth by the knowledge of him you can know God and you can know there is a God and to have eternal life you're going to have to know God you're going to have to know there is one in Philippians one or three rather Paul said he wanted to be found in him knowing and goes on to talk about how he's going to know that yes you may know God in fact, If you look at Romans chapter 1, you'll find that the Bible says that people that do not know God are inexcusable. There's no excuse for anybody not knowing God. He says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hinder the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known of God is manifest in them, for God manifested it unto them. What's he talking about? Why, he said, the invisible things of him, since the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being perceived through the things that are made, even his everlasting power and godhood, that they may be without excuse. Because that knowing God, they glorified him not as God, and goes on to describe their departure. That says that when people can look at the world that we live in and come to the conclusion there is no God, they are inexcusable. Maybe you've seen Carl Sagan on a television program called Cosmos. And he said the cosmos, or the universe, is all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever will be. Mr. Sagan is an intelligent person. But the Bible says he's a fool and says he is inexcusable. There's no excuse for anybody believing that the world or the universe is all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever will be. Isaac Asimov, I saw the other day, died. I forget how many books he had written, an atheist. Brilliant in some ways, but ignorant in the way that really matters, and inexcusable. And you know, the Bible talks about some folks are ignorant on purpose. They mean to be ignorant. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he said that there are going to be people that are going to say, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. And so he says in verse 5, this they are willingly ignorant of. And says what they're ignorant of that there were heavens from above and earth compacted out of water and amidst water by the Word of God. How did the world get here? By the Word of God. And there are some people that are ignorant of that and they're willingly ignorant. And so when people say you cannot know God, they're ignorant. I'm not saying they're stupid. You know, there's a lot of difference between being stupid and ignorant. They're ignorant, which means they don't know. And the Bible said they're inexcusable for not knowing. So first of all, we must know the fact of God's existence. Job said in Job 19, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that. So you can know it. You can know there is a God. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Two propositions. Must know that God is, and know that God rewards those that diligently seek him. So we must know that he is. You know, man is the only creature that denies his maker. No, no animals do. No cattle will deny His maker. But man does. Just the very fact that man exists demonstrates somebody. I've got on a very expensive watch made by Timex. They're not ashamed. You know, about that expensive. They're not ashamed to put their name on it. They want people to know they made it. But if it did not have a name on it, you'd know that somebody made it. It wasn't just an explosion in a gear factory that got all those wheels to work together that keep perfect time. It wasn't that at all. Just the fact the watch is here says somebody made that watch. And the Bible says that every house was built by someone, but he that built all things is God. If I were to tell you that this house that we're in came as a result of a big storm that came through, blew up a bunch of sand and rocks and trees, and just blew this building together and is here as a result of it, with the lights on and running and all of that just accidentally happened, you'd say, watch out. Those fellows in the white coats, if you see them, you'd better run. They're going to get you. But the human body is far more complicated than this house with the lights running in it. And to think that there's nobody that made it is to think that here is a design with no designer. And that's exactly what they tell us. That, that this body did not have a maker, it just gradually evolved over millions and millions and millions of years, and that there's nothing about it that was designed that way, and that just accidentally turned out like it did. And the fact that you have two eyes where they are are just accidental, could have been one in the front and none in the back, as far as design goes. And your nose that is on your face might have been on your elbow if you're going to look at it just accidentally happened. And why not? To say all of that is to be absurd. Man works and schemes and advertises some of the most wonderful cameras that a man can imagine. But even Darwin said when he thought about the human eye, it just, uh, words to the effect gave him cold chills to think about how complicated that was. Man, with all his efforts, cannot do what accidentally happened. Isn't that ridiculous? No, there is a maker. There is a designer. And the very fact that man exists is there is a designer. And the Bible here says in Romans 1, when we look at the things that have been made, that demonstrates that God made it, and it demonstrates his power, his everlasting power, and his godhood. You know... <laughs> It would take power just to make the world like it is. And God did that. He just spoke. And the world came into existence. Psalms 33, verse 7, He spoke and it was done. He commanded and stood fast. Verse 9, I believe, said, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. That's verse 7. then verse 9 says, He spoke and it was done. He made it out of nothing. Hebrews 11, about verse 3 or 4, said, So that the things that are made... We're made out of things that do not appear, made out of nothing. How did he do that? By his power. He could just literally speak the worlds into existence. And this says it is his everlasting power, and the world is obviously running down. And the fact that somebody made it shows the power was everlasting, and it had to be divine power. Just the existence of the world says God made it. Several years ago, Brother Maples probably saw this in Peoria where he lived and where I live. There was a statue of Robert Ingersoll in one of the one of the parks. Stood up there like I'd dare anybody to do anything, you know Robert Ingersoll was an atheist. Went around the country lecturing on the mistakes of Moses. Some people got right bright and decided they'd follow Ingersoll and they did lecturing on the mistakes of Ingersoll. But we were in there one day and somebody looked at this statue. It was pretty good work. Said, I wonder who made it? And I said, Nobody It just accidentally blew up here. And, of course, that's ridiculous, isn't it? The very fact the world exists and that I exist in it demonstrates that somebody made it. That somebody made me. And that that somebody, according to the Bible, is God. And so people who say you can't know God are mistaken. And the Bible says if you don't know God, you don't have eternal life. And if you don't know God, you're inexcusable. You'll not be able to stand before God and say, I really didn't know there was one. God said if you do that, you're without excuse. But more than that, there are those that will say, Well, now, I'm not going to say there is no God. I'm just not sure. And we have a word for that, agnostic, which means I don't know. And he's saying I don't know. I just really cannot really tell. There's not enough evidence one way or another. I just—I never have seen God, and I never have seen anybody that has, and so I just don't know. Well, of course you haven't seen God. The Bible said God is a spirit. John 4, verse 24, and you've not seen God. But to say, I've not seen God, therefore I don't know, says, in effect, I don't know what I haven't seen. You mean, you don't know there's a London England? You really think there might not be one? (laughs) I never have been a London England. I don't know that I'll ever go. But the fact that I haven't been there doesn't mean I cannot know there is. am going I know that? Well, I've got evidence. And just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean there isn't one. And to say that I do not believe and do not know things that I have not seen, I never have seen the wind. Have you? No, you haven't. You might have seen things that the wind did, but you never did see the wind. You can't see the wind. Does that mean I'm going to quit knowing there is wind and I'm going to quit believing there's wind? That'll be dangerous. And there are, are there others things say you've never seen gravity. You can't see gravity. You might see what gravity does and you might see what God does. But just because you've not seen one doesn't mean you can see the other. You never have seen a thought. Some folks, I think, never have had one. But just because you've not seen one doesn't mean people don't think. And for me to say, well, I never have seen God, I just, I'm just, i just not sure. We believe a lot of things and know a lot of things that we do not understand. The Bible said the fool has said in his heart there's no God. But then there are people that say, well, now, you know, I just don't understand some things about God. Well, that'd be a pretty little God if I could understand all about it, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be much. It wouldn't be much of a God. It'd be hardly worthy of worship if I could understand everything there was about it, but there... There are things I don't understand about God, but I know they're true because the Bible reveals that they're true. I don't know how God knows right now what I'm thinking and what people thought a hundred years ago. But he did. The Bible makes that clear. I don't know how God can hear me pray when two miles down the road there's another fellow praying. God hears him, and over here maybe ten or twenty praying. He hears all of them praying. It's How does he do that? One fellow said, why do does that? He just put some of them on hold while he listened to them. Well, that's hardly the way that is, is it? Just because I don't understand some things. Sometimes people, one of the biggest arguments people make, if there is a God, why does he let all these bad things happen? Well, if we want everything to be good and we want everything to be just like it's supposed to be, would you like for God to start now with you? Well, most of us wouldn't want to be that way. You know, one reason that bad things happen and happen to good people is because God made man with the ability to choose. He made wood, for example, and you can take that wood and you can choose to use it to make a chair. You can choose it to make a fire, to get warm by or to cook by. But because man is a man, a creature of choice, I can choose and so can you and you might choose to hit me in the head with the wood and you're a creature of choice. God did not make a bunch of robots. He made people capable of choosing. And the Bible reveals all that. And just because I do not understand a lot of things doesn't mean they're not true. I I don't understand electricity. I know you turn on the switch and the light comes on, but that's not a whole lot, is it? I surely do not understand VCR equipment. I don't understand how that thing works at all Do you. Oh, it works. I use this... (laughs) One place I was preaching, and I said, I don't understand how television works. The little boy told his mom, I said, I don't know more than a preacher does. I know how TV works. She said, well, how does it work? Well, he said, you just turn the knob and it comes on. Well, I knew that much, but I really don't know how they work. Oh, I know electrical impulses go through the air, but what's all that? To know God means to know there is a God, and you can know that. Not just feel like it and believe it. You believe it and know it. And Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they should know thee. But to know God means a great deal more than just knowing there is a God. There are a lot of folks that believe in God, but they don't know God and they don't believe in the true God, not the one in the Bible. Sometimes I've run across folks where the Mormons have been, and they say, you know, they teach what what we do. They teach there's one God, and you've got to believe, repent, and be baptized. They teach what we do. It's not true. They do not teach what the Bible teaches and what we ought to teach. They teach there's a God all right enough, but that God has a flesh and bone body just like you do. And they teach that one of these days you can be God. And by the time you get to be God, God will have progressed to where he's even a greater God, which says the God that now is is not as great as he can be. No, Mormons don't teach what the Bible does and does not teach what we ought to teach. Because while they may know there is a God, their God is not the God of the Bible. It is not the true God. Muslims believe in God. They claim to believe in the same God you do, but they don't. When you talk to them about Jesus being the Son of God, they say, that's ridiculous. How could God have a son? He doesn't have a wife. You see what a materialistic, fleshly concept they have. That's not the Bible concept. No, the Bible says God is a spirit. And he doesn't have that fleshly uh, aspect that they're talking about. And the Jewish people believe in a God, but he's not the God of Jesus Christ. Because they don't believe there's a Jesus. They don't. They believe there's a Jesus, but not that he's the Christ. And he's certainly not the Son of God. I read a thing one time, I forget whether it's Dear Abbey or Ann Landers, but uh, they were commenting on that. Jesus was a great teacher, a good man, but he certainly wasn't the Son of God, nor the Messiah. You see, they're Jews. They don't believe that. So they do not know God. They may know there is a God, but there's more to it than just knowing God. And one of the things about knowing God is mentioned in John 17. Eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and him whom thou didst send, even Jesus Christ. Then we need to know something about the characteristics of God. In order to know God, you know that God is, but you know something about God's characteristics. Some people have the idea that because the Bible says that God is love, they think love is God. And if God is love, he could not possibly ever send anybody to hell. Like we saw last night, the Bible teaches plainly. They want to emphasize the goodness of God and exclude what the Bible says about the severity of God. And it tells us in Romans 11, Behold, then, the goodness and severity of God. God is good. God is severe. He's both. A lot of people want to believe part of it and not believe the rest of it. They're selective in what they believe about it. But to know God, we must know the qualities or characteristics of God. One thing we need to know about God, God is holy, which carries with it the idea. And other passages bring this out about the purity of God. God is so pure, the Bible says, he cannot behold evil. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't see it. But it means he does not see it with any kind of approval. And so we need to know the fact that God is just. And as he said, he cannot allow The guilty to go unpunished, and in order for that to be taking place, uh, he gave his son to die in our place, and we won't have time to go into that. Nothing to say to know about. God knows that God is gracious; he does not want anybody to be lost. Second Peter three verse nine: The Lord is not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. In fact, in that context, it says God is long-suffering. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Why not think about the long-suffering of God? He's given you time to be here tonight to think about the fact there is a God and that you are accountable to God. He's let you live long enough to be here to think about that. Why not take advantage of the time, respond to that like the Bible teaches that we'll talk about in a little bit. But God is good. God is righteous. God is severe. And God is long-suffering. God is love. God so loved the world, that includes you and me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him to die for us. And when you think about who the son was, came to earth and suffered insults and shame and was spat on and crucified for nothing that he had done but for anything and everything that we did. And then somebody said, well, isn't that interesting? But I'm not interested. It doesn't surprise me that a person like that, God would let them go to hell. When you think what God did to keep that person from going to hell, and he said, I don't care. God is severe, but God is love. God is power. When you think about how the world could literally be spoken into existence, you know something about the power of God. But not only ought we to think about it from that standpoint, about uh, the nature of God, the characteristics of God, and God is willing to forgive. But we also need to think about this point. You could look at the world and know that there is a God. But you could look at the world from now till you're a thousand years old and you'd never figure out God has a Son. How do we know God? You know God by revelation. You know there is a God. You learn something about the qualities of God, but you know there's a God by revelation. And that's what we have in the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 11, about verse 25 or 6, talking about all things have been given to me of my Father. No man, he said, knoweth the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son willeth to reveal him. That says you can't know the Father except by revelation. And that's what the Bible is. In 1 Corinthians 2, the apostle says in about verse or about verse 10 or 12, that Well, let's see, beginning with verse 9. Things that I saw not, and ear heard not, things that did not enter the heart of man, he said, but unto us God revealed them by the Spirit. For he said, the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Then he used this illustration. Who among men knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? You don't know what I think. I don't know what you think. You do, but I don't, unless you tell me. And if you tell me the truth, then I know because you told me. And that's what he says here. No man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, he said, the things of God knoweth no man save the spirit of God. But he said, we, talking about himself and other, we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God that we might know, note that word, that we might know the things given to us of God, which things we speak. Paul is saying God revealed it to us and we speak it. And then he wrote to those in Ephesus and said, When you read what I wrote, you can understand what I know. You can know God. And the way we know God is by means of revelation. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, After the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Man knows God by revelation. He knows there is a God by nature. He knows there is a God by revelation. He knows the qualities of God. He knows that God's Son is Jesus Christ. You know that by revelation, and you won't know it any other way. But you can know it. Because Peter said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. And Paul could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. You mean he might not? Just to say that is, is absurd. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, Paul said, We know that if the earth, the house of our tabernacle, be dissolved, we have a building from God. you mean we might not? No. Paul said we know that. So we can know God. We can know there is a God. is frequently used in the Bible. In the first psalm, for example, the Bible is talking about the difference between the ungodly man and the But he says in that connection down in verse 5, The wicked shall not stand in judgment, or in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Then he adds this. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, does that mean the Lord is ignorant of what other folks are doing? No, because the rest of that says the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked are going to perish. That says when he uses the word know, that means the Lord approves of what they're doing. He endorses their conduct. And I think you'll find repeatedly when the Bible uses the word know that it is used in that context. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse, oh, that's not the right scripture, chapter 2. He said, The Lord knoweth them that are his. The firm foundation of God standeth, having this seal the Lord, knows them that are his. Does that mean he's ignorant of everybody else? He doesn't know they're in the world? No. But he endorses them that are his. He approves of them because they are his. To know, in that sense, means to endorse or to approve. In Matthew 7, verse 23, Jesus said in verse 21, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, did did we not prophesy in thy name? In thy name do many mighty works, cast out demons, and so on. Jesus said, Then will I say unto them, Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, that surely doesn't mean he is ignorant of them, does it? Because he just, just told what they were doing. He knew who they were and knew what they were doing, but he said, I never did know you. I never did endorse your conduct. I never did approve of you. And then you have the statement in Matthew 25 about those ten virgins. Five of them were foolish. They were like a lot of my brethren. They didn't want to do too much. They thought they had just enough to get in, didn't want to do too much, and they found out you can't work that way and please God. And so when the bridegroom came, you remember how that was? They all went out to meet him. And these went away to buy some oil. And while they were gone, the door was shut. And then they came back and knocked, saying, Lord, open to us. He said, I don't know you. He did not say, I never did know you. He did know them. Because these are in the kingdom. It says in verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be like ten virgins. All of them slumbered. All of them slept. All of them got up to meet the bridegroom. All of them were in the kingdom. They did at one time know the Lord, but the Lord knew them, rather. But now he said, I don't know you. He did not approve of their conduct. You think about that. There are people in the world that never have become Christian. The Lord doesn't know Never did know That is, he never did approve of their conduct because they're sinners. But then there are those that have obeyed the gospel. And after they've obeyed the gospel, they don't do right. And the Lord said, I don't know you now, in other words. And so the word no is frequently used in the sense of approval. And I suspect that's what meant in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9, when it says the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. They don't endorse the Lord. They don't approve of him. Their conduct says they don't. And the Lord says something's going to happen to them terrible. They're going to be punished with everlasting punishment from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. We talked about that last night. They don't know God. They do not endorse Him. They do not approve of Him. Their conduct says they reject Him. And it is in that sense that we can be known of God. In Galatians 4, He said in verse 8 about these people that had been idolaters, At that time, He said, Not knowing God, you were in bondage to them that by nature are no God. But now, He said, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. I just told what they used to be, so we know that God knew who they were and what they had done. But he said, God did not know you then, but now he does. And the reason he does is because you know him. God endorses those that endorse him and God approves of those that approve of him. To know God means to know that God is, that God exists. It means to know the nature of God and the quality of God, the characteristics of God and to know the Son of God. but it also means that we are to endorse and to approve that which God does. Sometimes, like we mentioned a while ago, some people say, I-, I just cannot see how a loving God could send anybody to hell. Would you take one of your children and burn them up? Maybe I would. But That doesn't mean that God wouldn't. In the 50th Psalm, God said about the wicked, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. You thought I was just like you. But he shows he's not. The Bible said man is made in the image of God, but that doesn't mean that God is made in the image of man. There may be things I would not do. In fact, there are things I'm told I must not do that God does, like take vengeance. Avenge not yourselves, beloved, Romans 12 said, give place to the wrath of God. God is the one that will take vengeance. I can't do that. And so just because... I may not do something. doesn't mean God may not do it or will not do it. It simply means that I am not God and I do not have those qualities. But I need to recognize and approve and endorse whatever God does. And 1 John chapter 2 gives us one aspect of that. It says, for example, in verse 3, Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that said, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You know God? I don't mean do you know that God exists. I'm I'm just sure you do. I don't mean do you know any of the characteristics of God. No doubt you do. Do you know his Son? And do you know him like this verse says, in that you keep his commandments? A man that says, I know God, but who does not keep his commandments, John said, he's lied about it. Now, I didn't say that. But God, through his apostle John, did. But he said in verse 5, Whoso keepeth his word in him verily hath the love of God been perfected, hereby we know that we're in Him. You know that. This verse says you can know it. And the way that you do that, or at least involved in that, is that we keep his commandments. God said do this. I demonstrate that I approve of what God approved for me when I do what God told me to do. And if I don't do that, that says I don't approve God, I reject him. And so we can say, do you know God? In 1 John chapter 3 and in verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. That is, he doesn't make a practice of it. Whosoever sins hasn't seen him and does not know him. If you're sinning, you're not approving what God does. You're not endorsing what God does. For God does not approve, neither does he endorse sin. But if I do it, I'm doing that endorsing. And God doesn't do that. Hasn't known him. In chapter 4 and in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is begotten of God and knoweth God. We endorse love because God is love. And if I don't endorse love and don't practice that, I do not endorse what God does, therefore God doesn't endorse me. Do you know God? In Titus 1, Titus says in verse uh, 16, There are those that profess that they know God, but by their works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work. I dare say, if we were to go around the room and ask each individual, Do you know God? Probably everybody would say yes. But this said there are a lot of folks that say, Yes, I know God, but by their works they deny Him. Why? They don't approve what He does. They do not endorse what God does. And one of the greatest things we ought to emphasize about knowing God and knowing and endorsing what God does, God said of Jesus, This is my beloved Son. He endorsed Him. He endorsed Him by means of those words. He endorsed Him by means of the works that He did. He endorsed Him by the resurrection. Declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. God endorsed His Son, Jesus. A lot of people don't. They say a good man, but not really the Christ. You know, that's a contradiction. How could a man claim to be the Christ and expect people to die believing that if he knew it was lying? Couldn't be a good man, could he? Jesus either is the Son of God or else He's a deceiver, one or the other. And the fact is, there's no way He's a deceiver. And you could know He's not. And so he said, do you know God? Do you endorse that which God endorses, namely His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you endorse what the Lord endorsed for you if you're not a Christian? Jesus said, go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. you believe that? Do you endorse that? I can tell how you tell. Have you done it? If you've never believed or you're in the Christ, or as Peter said in Acts 2.38, repented of your sins, been buried in water baptism for the remission of sins, you have not endorsed what God does. And in that sense, you do not know God. And God does not know you. I don't mean you're ignorant that there is a God. You, you can do that. Know that. And I don't mean God's ignorant that you're in the world. God knows you're in the world, and He knows what you've done or haven't done. Do you know God? Have you endorsed what God endorsed have you approved what God approved? When it says in Acts 17, 30, God commands all men everywhere to repent, what do you say? You don't say, well, yeah, that's right. Not really, not if you've not repented. Because God endorsed it for you, and the only way you can endorse it is to do that. Otherwise, you will profess you know God, but your works will deny it. Saul of Tarsus was told to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. He did that immediately. He endorsed what God endorsed. No wonder he could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. What about the kind of conduct that God endorsed for you? Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father. If you involve yourselves in those things that encourage the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You don't know God, because God doesn't endorse that. He condemns it in his, Christian, in his people, and we ought to condemn it. Remember what we began by reading? This is eternal life, that they should know thee, the only true God. Do you know God? The Bible said people that do not know there is a God are inexcusable. Do you know there's a God? Do you know his qualities and characteristics, and God his love, that He gave His Son, that God is forgiving on His turn? Do you endorse and approve of that which God does, namely His Son, His Word, His Church, His requirements for you to be a Christian? You endorse that, not if you've not done it, and if you have done it, you can rejoice in the fact that Jesus said, "This is life eternal." that they should know thee. So if you're here tonight and God doesn't know you because you don't know God in that you have not done what the Lord approves of you for to do, why not, why not be like these folks in Galatia? Though he said there was a time when not knowing God, now you've come to know God or rather to be known by God and it's to that group of people that he could say that, that they were children of God by faith. Because they've been baptized into Christ. And you can do that too tonight. The power won't be in the water. The power will be in God through His Son, Jesus. And why not know that? Or if you become a Christian, have at one time uh, been like uh, those uh, five foolish uh, virgins, who at one time were known by the Lord, but acting in such a way the Lord doesn't know them now, doesn't know you now. Why not repent? Ask God to forgive you. Ask the brethren to pray with you and pray for you. They'll be glad to do that. God will be glad to forgive you. He wants to. Why not be a Christian? Know God and let God know you. We urge you to while we stand up and while we sing. Make your way to the front if that's your desire.